Welcome to episode number three of the Locker Room Files podcast. I'm Claire Louise for Monday, your LRF podcast host. Well, it's Friday night here in Brisbane and I have the entire weekend ahead of me, which is always the best feeling. This weekend, I'm going to be watching a whole heap of Tour de France. I mean, forget Christmas. This is my personal happiest time of the year. I love these three weeks. And this year is even more exciting because Caleb Ewan has made his debut. And Caleb is actually from my hometown of Barrel in the New South Wales Southern Highlands. And coincidentally, also this weekend, I will be interviewing Nick Smith who is also from my hometown of the Southern Highlands. Now, Nick competes in cyclocross, and I'll be very honest, I don't know a whole heap about the sport of cyclocross, but I'm really excited to talk to him so that I can learn all about it and hear why he was drawn to it, how he got involved in it, and what his goals are for his future career in the sport. Also this weekend, I'll be doing an open water swimming training session with another upcoming guest of the LRF podcast, triathlete Jamie Simmons. Jamie is getting towards the business end of his lead up to the ITU World Triathlon Grand Final in Switzerland. So we are heading off to Anogra Dam where the water is a chilly 16 degrees. I am not looking forward to it. But when your friend is in training to become a world champion over winter, well, you should probably just go and find other friends. Speaking of swimming, during my last interview with Jules Woodford, I touched briefly on the fact that I had recently joined a swimming squad. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Trent from Red Dog Triathlon Training, who had seen the work that I'd been putting in over the past year. And eventually he came over and asked me to join his squad. So that's what I've been doing. And I cannot tell you how far I have come in the last six or so weeks. He has completely turned around what I've been doing. And I'm not getting any kickbacks from this. But just speaking from experience, if you're in the Brisbane area and you are into triathlon but want to step up your training... I highly recommend Red Dog Triathlon Training. So if you want to follow my swimming journey, you can follow me on Instagram at the new farm girl, or you can follow the LRF Instagram to keep up to date with upcoming episodes at locker underscore room underscore files. Or you can also subscribe on the blog website, www.lockerroomfiles.com lockerroomfiles.com.au and don't forget the podcast is now streaming on a whole heap of platforms including Spotify and Apple Podcasts so make sure you subscribe there as well. Now on to this week's episode my interview with Olympic 400 meter runner Steve Solomon. I believe that there are two kinds of people in this world those who are into the first week of the Olympics, that is swimming, and those that are into the second week of the Olympics, which is athletics. Now, I may be a swimmer, but I love watching athletics. And I remember clearly last year at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast watching 
my next guest, Steve Solomon. I loved the story about Steve not even watching the Beijing Olympics, but finding himself competing in London four years later as a 19-year-old on the world stage. And he wasn't just there to make up the numbers. He was in the final eight. Steve also won the 400 meter event at the recent Oceania Championships and later this year he will be competing at the World Championships in Doha and he's also striving to post a time that will see him selected for Tokyo 2020 next year. Steve gave me such a fascinating insight into the mental aspects of being an elite athlete but what I really loved about those insights was the fact that you can apply them outside of sport in your day-to-day life. So I really hope that you as the listener are able to take some of what he has said and apply it in your life too. I hope that he inspires you as much as he did for me. And I really am looking forward to sharing this one with you. So please sit back, relax, and let's get into it. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for, um, yes, well, sitting down to have a chat. I'm not sure if you are sitting, (laughs) (laughs) but if you are, then welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So, Firstly, I just wanted to say congratulations uh, on your success at the Oceania Championships. Um, So that was a week ago now, I think. Yes. Very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. yeah, The Oceania Championships were, yeah, I guess this time last week and, um, they were an important championships. The first time I've run at those uh, that event, and and that and an important race uh, leading up to the qualification for 2020 Olympics. So very very happy to get the win there, and okay. uh, cert- certainly uh, training with a, a lot of newfound energy and motivation following that 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 meet. Oh great! So it's kind of inspired you to keep, you know keep everything on track. Definitely, I think yeah, I think you know athletics is a is a is one of those sports where you have to push yourself to limit all the time. And because you're doing that, there, there are always, you know, periods of training where you're a little bit tired or you're a little bit fatigued or you're sore. And, um, and to be able to still go through that training and, and, and get results like we did last week was, was very exciting because we're in a deep uh, phase of our training at the moment. We're in a heavy uh, training block, which means working really hard. We're not really taking much rest. Um, and to still be able to come out and win uh, in, in the depth of that training is like very exciting and, and hopefully an, in, an indicator of fast times coming in a few weeks time when we do start to, to, to die down the training and, and, and tune up. So um, the, with your training block, that's with a specific goal in mind, I'd assume? Definitely. So my coach Penny Gillies and I have, have, have kind of had to constantly reassess over the last six, seven months because I've uh, been battling a bit of an injury that kind of has forced our training to be what we can do rather than what we would like to do. Okay. And and we're just coming out of that now. So we've, we're in the we're about six weeks through a 15 week training block where at the end of that uh, we should be physically and mentally ready to to run a you know a very fast time, which will hopefully serve as, as both a, an entry sound into the World Championships later this year in Doha, uh, but also potentially into the Olympics next year. So that's the, the end goal of this block. Okay, great. And so it's, it's the injury, how is that coming along? It's, it's silenced. Uh, okay. Thanks for asking. It was one of those, um, it was a foot injury. So I kind of, 
I was dealing with stress reactions in my in one of my feet, and and as a runner, uh, I think that's probably one of the most annoying injuries I've ever had to go through because every step uh, you'd feel it, and and I think more so physically. Uh, obviously, there was physical recovery that that needed to be made. The bone had to heal; those micro fractures needed to to come back together. But at the same time, the the mental the mental battle was was a new one for me because uh, it took me about four and a half months until I could really feel confident uh, running in my foot and and not having to to think about every step and compare it to the last step and was wondering if that step was better than the step yesterday. So it was like a very tax, taxing process that I'm yeah. I'm happily uh, towards the end of now. Oh, good. So what kind of work did you do for that mentally? Then did you do you have sports psychologists or did you just work through that with your coach? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I've, I've got a great support team around me. I didn't work with a, a specific sports psychologist per se, but I'm very lucky to, to have an amazing coach in Penny and an amazing friendship network um, and mentor network to kind of help help me guide through the, the injury. And then, then also I've, I think I've uh, set my environment up for, for enough kind of quote unquote distractions or, or other things that I do in my life to make sure that I'm not spending too much time in, in my own head. I think one of the biggest uh, mistakes athletes can make, uh, especially when you can imagine how much they give up for, for their pursuit of excellence in sport, is that they, they, they don't set themselves up in environments where when injuries like, like this one occurs, where it's going to be four or five months mm. kind of working um, out of your normal routine to give yourself some sort of output, some sort of outlet. Uh, in another way, and and for me that was that was through work um, and and picking up a a couple of hobbies and side projects that I've been wanting to do for a while to okay. distract you because um, you need that distraction. If you just you you know you you, you need yourself uh, you need to give yourself a chance and an avenue and an outlet to kind of just take a, a mental pause uh, through an injury, yeah. and um, and I was able to do that, which which certainly helped. So coming into the Oceania Championships. How, like, what was the preparation and training like in the lead up? So, are you able to go into more specifics of what you were doing for training? Certainly. So, to kind of give some context, I had a, a competition over in Japan about six weeks before the Oceania Championships for the, which were the, was the World Relay Championship. So, we went over there as an Australian four by four team and and made the final and qualified our team for uh for the world championships later in doha which was this oh, great. fantastic yeah which was awesome it was a big high it was the fastest that we'd run wow. as an australian as an australian team since 2013 so it was a very very big high and 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 you know a very great kind of uh celebration uh but but at the end of that competition i really had almost taken all my deposits out the bank uh metaphorically like i just i'd spent all my my biscuits i'd I kind of used what what training I'd accumulated over the coming months for that race, and I was basically starting from square one again when I got back from Japan. Okay. So, so once we came back from Japan, this was about six weeks before the Oceania Championships. The first three weeks were just getting volume back into the legs. Um, so my training schedule is: I run four days a week. I do two strength sessions a week. Two. Um, two cross training sessions a week. Uh, and then I've got a couple of massage and physio and, and recovery sessions as well. Okay. So, so those first three weeks back was, was really just trying to get volume through the body. So 
in the on the track we were we were running long reps uh you know as a 400 meter sprinter i'd define anything as long of you know cumulative sessions of over 10 kilometers of work um and for context once i'm in high fine tune season i'll probably do about uh three kilometers of work so basically over three times what i would do in in peak uh fine tune season for the first three weeks and then uh, once we started getting a little bit more strength back in the legs, that's allowed us to, to, to run a bit quicker. So we reduced the volume down the last two weeks and, um, and in- increased the speed, which is important because at the end of the day, you have to train your body as specifically as possible to do what it needs to do in the race, and, and that's run really fast. So it's all good and, and well doing doing the long strength work, but if you don't convert it into the speed, then, then you're kind of missing the point. So that's where I am at the training now. I'm coming into halfway through that 15-week training block. So now the, having done the first half where we spent most of the time just getting a bit of strength, now we'll start to look to turn that strength into a bit of more specific training and, and start running a little quicker uh, each week, each week, uh, heading towards middle of middle of July, start of August, where we'll um, hopefully be back at, at really, really fast pace and, and strong and, and ready for the next uh, next race. Well, it sounds like it's coming together, so <laughs> it is. It is. I, I, definitely, definitely. I noticed also um, at Oceania. So, is it a prelim round? Is that how it works, rather than heats? Yes, correct, correct. I think they're kind of interchangeable names. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. And I noticed that you had the second fastest time in the prelim round. Um, yes. And then you came away with the win. So is there, are you sort of focusing on yourself? Do you take much notice of the fact that you were uh, second and that, you know, did, did you then have to come away and sort of mentally prepare to, to come back with a win or are you just focusing on yourself and not even thinking of that other time? Yeah, it's a really great question. So kind of in athletics, uh, there's there's typically three rounds, but at this latest competition, there were two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there was the prelim and then the final. And the goal of any prelim or any heats is to, is to progress to the next round as comfortably as possible. So yeah. not trying to exert yourself, trying to save a little bit of energy because, you know, in, in the sport of athletics, you know, if you're 1% worse than you were the day before, that's probably the difference from winning a race to coming fifth in the race. So it's, you know, it's a, there's fine lines on the margin in a sport that's that's awarded medals by hundreds of an, and sometimes thousands of a second. Uh, so, no, when I was when I was I was feeling really great after the heat uh, or after the prelim round, I I ran pretty conservatively. I, um, I, I try to conserve as much energy as I could and and how the kind of how the lanes are awarded for the for the for the final has to do with the place that you come in the race, not where you are ranked um, across races. So by winning my prelim, I was I was awarded a a, a prime lane, as they call it, for the final. Okay. Um, just as the case of of the other heat winner was a, was awarded a prime lane that he happened to run faster, but it didn't. Um, in the grand scheme of kind of qualification, it, the the time was irrelevant because we both placed first in our uh, prelim. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and so Good. then, um, when you were lining up for the final, well, in any final, really, what's the thought process for you? What are you concentrating on? Yeah, it's a really good question. Like 
when I concentrate on, on, on a final, you know, that's when you line up and, and you go into that race wanting to win it. And there are many ways to lose a race, mm. uh, lot, lots more ways to lose a race than I win a race. So I think when I'm on the starting blocks, you know, staring down at the track, knowing that I'm about to, to get in and, and run the race, run the final, it's really about concentrating my energy and focus onto what I need to do. Uh, how I am going to execute this particular race uh, on this particular day, on this particular time, in this particular field of competitors. And um, and it changes from race to race. Sometimes you're going out there to run as fast as you can, to run the quickest time that you can possible, and you take certain risks associated with, with that pursuit. Other times, like when you're running in a final or a championship event, the most important thing is the win. Uh, you know, it's back to that old school style of racing where, the most important thing is to be across the line before everyone else, regardless of how far in front you are or what time comes up on the board, you just need to win the race. So in, in Townsville uh, at the Oceania Championships, uh, it was the ladder that was going through my mind. It was how am I going to win this race? Uh, and I, you know, my coach Penny and I came up with a, a strategy before the race of, of how we were going to run it, where we were going to attack uh, different parts of the race, different parts of the, the track, and um, and and while I'm stepping into my blocks, I run through that plan one more time, and then just kind of trust in the training that I've been doing, trust in my ability of what I've done in the past, and um, and then focus on executing throughout the race to to make sure that the plan comes to effect. So when you cross the line and you're in first place, is it dependent on like the event that you're in, or like are you? able to just celebrate the moment or are you still thinking oh I could have done xyz better yeah yeah it's very very race dependent kind of like the, the emotion that, that comes after a race so you know if it's a national championship and you know you you win that race and you by doing so you become you know the the, the national champion the you know the crown yeah. 400 meter runner in Australia that's got a certain feeling of victory to it um other times you'll run away race and you'll win and, you know, you might run a qualifying standard for World Championships or Olympics. So that that fact in itself will overpower the um, the win. And in fact, there are some races where you might not even win the race, but you might achieve such a standard, such a qualification into, into a big event like the World Championships or Olympic Games. So then you can still feel some sense of uh, fulfillment and you can, you can celebrate. So I think each race... Is a, is a different celebration because in every race you're coming into it with different ex- expectations mm-hmm. personally. You're yeah. coming into it with a different environment of what you've been able to do in training. Um, for example, to, to win the Oceania Championships off uh, quite limited training in, in my mind and quite unspecific training in terms of focusing for that race, that was a victory in itself and I can celebrate that. Um, so, so the the victory in 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 each race changes uh, based on a lot of things. Yeah. Of things. Um. So, what are your expectations for the Asia Pacific Games coming up? Yeah, great question. Um, the Asia Pacific Games are in two weeks, and again, that's like another two weeks into my training block where I'll have had more time to to push into that back end where we'll start running faster running training, we'll start making that training a little bit more specific to 400 meter running. So I expect to um, to have a really strong result there. I think that my fitness is coming into a nice place. My speed, which is gonna take time over the next couple of weeks is, is showing the right kind of trending curve. 
So mm. I think I'm going to go over to Samoa, which is where the games are taking place, and 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 possibly even test a new race pattern. We'll have to wait and see what what, what my coach Penny asks, but. You know, we, we might use it as a as a bit of a training ground to to try and a couple of new things that we want to execute in races down the line. So um, I think in the in the same regard that we were just talking about the prelim and the and the final, we 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 might have the opportunity in the prelim uh, if I'm if I'm a strong competitor in the field to to take a couple more risks than I would typically take and uh, and see what we can learn from doing that. And okay. then the final. The final, like kind of any final, is is all about the win. So we'll uh, we'll come up with a strategy to to see what we can do and in, and in, in make sure that we can uh, take home the gold for Australia there. Yeah, great. And are you doing um, that sort of test now uh, because it's sort of far enough out from um, World Championships and like Tokyo next year? Is it sort of with exactly. that goal in mind? Exactly. So. With track and field, is it's it's not like um, it's not like rugby where we might play 25, 30, 40, 50 games a year where we can mm. try new things in each of those games because we push ourselves to the limit. Um, when you know when we do step on the track, we 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 just can't afford to to be racing week in week out, which means that the races that we do commit to, they might be you know. 10, 10 to 12 races a year. Okay. Uh, we've got to use those races and, and make sure that we set ourselves up both for the, the race that we're running today, but also the ones that we want to run tomorrow. So that might mean trying a new race pattern. That might be changing the way we put, position the starting blocks uh, at the start of the race um, and, and trying to do all these like little different modifications that we can use, use different strategy within the race. Uh, so that you find the right one. So, but time Olympics and World Championship comes, you've you've had a look in your toolbox and you pick out the one that that you think will work in that environment the best, having tried it in in instances that are in similar conditions and 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 things like that in the past. Sure. So these kind of events become quite important then. Exactly. Um, I mean, racing's always you know uh, the easy part of training in the sense that <laughs> um, you know the training itself is a is a lot harder uh, yeah. a lot more taxing a lot uh more physically and mentally straining but but the race is the opportunity where it all counts so regardless of how well you've trained or how badly you've trained um you know you've got to put it together in the race that's the test so it's a, it adds a different dynamic to it um but also at the same time it is is another opportunity to to train to train and, and and test something that you can't you can't do on the training ground you know you can't yeah. simulate can't simulate the same adrenaline you can't simulate the same environment the conditions the procedures so it's a it, the racing is a lot of fun oh good <laughs> that's why you do it <laughs> yeah exactly um, and what about racing relays um what's the main difference in preparing for that one of the events that as a spectator you want to tune in and watch so it's very exciting oh, thank you thank you thank you <laughs> hopefully we can continue the excitement Oh, I'm, uh, you will, I'm sure. <laughs> That's Good. not in doubt. <laughs> Good. Um, and how do you think that um, you're placed for settled and where it changes over from being an individual sport to a team sport? Very good question. The idea of the relay, um, you know, most of it's the same in the sense that we all have our individual warm-ups, we all in, warm up and prepare individually, but where the team uh, element comes into the relay is there's like a special kind of kinship that, that's especially true of the Australian 4x4 team where mm. 
you know, you get to run with your your friends and you get to you get to compete against the best countries in the world uh, together, which which has a nice vibe to it. It's got a it's got a special place in 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 your heart as an athlete for it to take an individual sport and and turn it into a team environment. So, in terms of how the preparation works for that, I mean, the, the best thing that you can do is really gel and and become close with your teammates because. You know, as much as you want to run fast for yourself and your country, uh, you know, it's always uh, an added bonus to be able to run fast for, with and for your friends. Um, yeah. So I think that's a big part of the, the difference between an individual preparation and a team preparation is individually you spend a lot of time in your own head, uh, whereas with for a relay you spend a lot of time together because you've got to create that that one one mind, one goal with, with four different athletes who have four different preparation styles who – would ideally run four different things, four different ways, but for the good of the team, you need to come together and and sort out what's the best plan of attack for the, for the good of the whole. Yeah, and Australia's got such a strong four by four hundred team. Um, they do, and we have a strong history in the event, so yeah, it's always it's always exciting, and and we know that and we feel that, and I think that's why it's a it's an honour to to be a part of that four by four team because we know what the history has been and we know what the potential um, to 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 repeat that history is. So it's always a it it is always an honour to to run the four by four and and hopefully we'll have some continued success coming later this year, both at the World Championships, but uh, more importantly, probably looking into the the Olympics in 2020 next year. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you should all be very proud of yourselves because it's, you know, Tokyo um, for the relay team and for yourself as well, I guess. I think both both uh, both races are in, in a good place right now. Uh, individually, I'm training well. I'm very happy with my training. I'm very happy in my uh, kind of life environment that I've that I've created and I'm just confident in the in the team that I'm working with that we can go and and get the work that we need to do to to achieve that qualification post firstly and then and then focus on what we want to do at the at the, at the games uh, from an ind- individual standpoint. I'm I'm confident that we've got the right uh, institutions in play for for success there. And then as a relay team as well, I think it's an exciting time for the Australian 4x4 team. Uh, you know, there's myself and Alex Beck who have kind of mm. been a little, you know, veterans of the team. We've been running together for Australia since 2012. Um, you know, coming on eight years together, you know, we we there's a lot of um, a lot of history between us in the sense that you know we've been best friends for you know coming on to a decade, and you know there's 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 that half of the equation, and then they've got. Uh, some new, some young guys in Tyler Gunn um, yeah. coming up into the mix. So Tyler's only 20 years old and 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 has a lot of potential ahead of him. Wow. So so it's a lot of a lot of work that that Alex and I uh, would like to to help kind of guide and mold Tyler as he continues to develop. And the thing that the thing that's so hard to appreciate when you're young is is the value of experience and and how important that is, especially at the the Olympic level, so yeah. so hopefully we can we can help guide Tyler, and then the the fourth the fourth position in our quartet is is really up for up for grabs right now. We've got Murray Goodwin, um, who's run for Australia a couple of times now, and and has has done a good job. Um, so so I'd imagine that that Murray will be able to continue to to take the big step forward that we need him to to really put us into finals contentions at the games. Okay. So it's a uh, 
it's an exciting time. I think there's a long, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and Tokyo, you know, over a year to go still, but, um, but all on the right track and, and trending in the right direction. That's so good. You must feel very, it just must be a really good feeling for you. We try to, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, athletics is one of those sports where the highs are really high and the lows are Mm. really low. So while you're still um, in the middle ground and you're trending upwards, it's a nice place to be. Definitely. Certainly certainly beats the alternative. (laughs) Exactly. And you sort of touched um, on, you know, having the Olympic experience. So I guess, you know, the big question that you probably get asked a lot, but London Olympics and making the finals – is that memory kind of still just as fresh for you today or was it just so crazy that, you know, it all was a bit of a blur? What, what yes. was it like? My London experience continues to evolve over time. Um, you know, it, it really was in the moment, uh, you know, something that, that I had the goal of doing, making the final, achieving it, uh, being able to celebrate with so many family and friends and, you know, to the whole time in my life coming just out of high school. I was 19 at the time. I had friends on gap years catching up uh, <laughs> coincidentally in bars, you know, all over Europe at, at ridiculous hours in the morning to watch me run. So, you know, there was there were so many great things to to celebrate at the time. And then, as as uh, as the years go by, you know, I, I failed to qualify for the for the Rio Olympic Games, which was a very painful experience, um, missing out by four hundredths of a second, oh, uh, which is about the, the same amount of time it takes you to click and then for that sound to travel from your hand to your ear. Wow. So it was really, you know, an, an almost unimaginable you know, space of time cost me uh, a second Olympic experience and a second opportunity to, to run for Australia. So then my Olympic experience, you know, looking back at London changed for that. You know, I was able to gain some perspective of both how difficult it can be and how, how ruthless the sport can be. Mm. And, and it kind of gave me an even uh, heightened appreciation for what I was able to achieve in London, both to get to the games to put on the Australian uniform, but then to also uh, to make the final as well. Uh, yeah. Getting to as painful as watching it at my uh, in my living room in in Sydney was, it, it it actually added to to the experience of London. And and I think as I continue to move forward towards Tokyo, it, the, you know, the, my London experience still instills a lot of confidence in me. You know, there are. There was a point in time uh, where only seven guys in the world were quicker than me. So yeah. when I when I step on the line, I step into to races. I can carry carry with me that confidence uh, from that history, and and also use it as strength and motivation to to keep running faster, to get back to where I've been before, and then to take a step beyond that as well next year. That's such a great way of looking at it. You know, like that you can continually learn lessons from it, even what are we seven years later. Yeah, that you're no, still absolutely. Taking things from it. That, that's why, you know, for me, I love doing these interviews because I'm not an athlete, but I can pick these things that you guys say and I'm like, oh, that's just yeah. brilliant. You can use that in any walk of life. Good, yeah. I mean, that's something I enjoy as well is that my athletics really does does converge across all other elements in my life. and um, Yeah. And I think because we take ourselves to the extremes through sport, uh, it allows us to to perform very very successfully in in other walks of life because there aren't many times where in in a, you're in an environment where you know that you're going to be pushing yourself to the point of being sick for 20 minutes um, you know after like we do in training or lining up 
in a pressure situation like a qualification for an Olympic Games where, you know, you've worked for, you know, years uh, for the for these next 45 seconds and to be able to execute on the day uh, given the environment and the pressure. So I yeah. think sport, you know, really does set yourself up, set somebody up very well for for some for some valuable skills that can be transferred to to other parts of their life, both during their athletic pursuits, but 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 also very very much so after when they retire. Absolutely, no doubt. And I guess talking um, sort of about outside of athletics, um, you've graduated from both Stanford and Duke University in America. Yes, yes, I um I graduated with a biology degree from Stanford, human biology degree, and then okay. uh, went to Duke University for business school after that, and and graduated with a master's of management there. Well, that's very impressive. <laughs> well thank done. Thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. Uh, really, six very, very uh, enjoyable years of my life uh, oh, spent great. over in America. So, what was it like? What's the you know college experience like in America? I mean, what you see on the movies isn't too dissimilar to what I experienced. <laughs> um, I'll let you pick which movies you want to uh, <laughs> to draw that line with. But I think America is an amazing spot. You know, people go into college in America with the mindset of these are going to be the four of the best years of my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's something to that that mentality that that just sets it up for a platform of uh, of a great experience. So I met some some wonderful friends over in America. I had the privilege of studying with some incredible uh, professors doing some amazing research. I, you know, was pushed and tested in, in ways and in, in development that, that I, I don't think I would have been able to, to be tested in the same, same realm in Sydney. So I am very encouraging of, uh, of people to go over and, 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 and experience the, the American college if they are afforded the opportunity to. And wherever I live in the world, um, I would like my 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 future children to to have the opportunity to study in America because I just thought that it was such a um, such a wonderful time and uh, such a great environment for developing both academically but also uh, and more importantly personally. Wow, that's so cool. Um, yeah, it really was. And what are you doing with the qualifications now? Like, or, or you know, what what are you going to do in the future? Definitely. So at the moment, I uh, I work at Uber. I work full time at Uber in oh, cool. their, yeah on the business. Um, I'm in enterprise management there. So so that's what I'm doing with it currently. But I think you know long term down the line, I'd I'd like to to either continue in the corporate world uh, via you know big big tech companies or or move into into something that that I set up and establish myself so oh, cool. I think there's yeah I think there's still lots to be uh lots to be explored but for the moment I I've, I've got a great gig at at a at a company of of Uber and have an awesome management team and and just enjoying myself thoroughly and um and also having an employer that's benevolent and and flexible enough to to allow me to continue to train uh, yeah. at the level that I'm looking to compete at. It's very important as well. So uh, very happy where I am. Great. Are you able to tell me a bit about like growing up? Um, were you born and raised in Sydney? Yes, uh, born and raised in Sydney. My parents are both South African um, okay. and grew up uh, in East Linfield in Sydney, went to Linfield East Public School, played every sport that I could possibly really? entertain. Um <laughs> You know, my mother used to schlep me from cricket to soccer to rugby to tennis to swimming practice. <laughs> you know, 
if I if if I could if it was on offer and I could physically get there, I would be there. Um, That's so, so funny. I, yeah, I enjoyed a a very um, kind of uh, busy and eclectic sporting childhood. <laughs> so, how did you narrow it down to four hundred meter running? It it kind of took care of itself in that regard. Um, you know, I, I've always was enjoyed, you know, speed was always an asset of mine in, in all the sports I played. So in soccer, I played in the in, in the forwards and, and our team would, would use that speed to push the, the defensive line of the opposition, play a lot of through balls, use it tactically to, to change the game. So my speed was a great uh, benefit to both me and my team in soccer. In rugby, I play in the centres and on the wings. So speed was obviously uh, an easy correlation to to a good quality to have in those positions. And then, you know, in tennis, I would almost, you know, become a brick wall and it was very hard to, to hit a winner against me because I, I try to get to, to as many of the balls as possible. So that kind of changed <laughs> how other competitors would play. So I guess speed became this um, this common feature across my sporting uh, interests. And then it was in high school that I was formally uh, had access to a coach. I'd never actually had a athletics coach or a running coach before going into high school at Cranbrook School. Okay. And um, and it's from there that, you know, I just I fell in love with a with a good team of uh, of people within the school and we had a great coach uh, at the school's name was James Roth, who uh, who I really saw as like an older brother and, and started training with him outside of, of, of the school season as well and and eventually became his training partner uh, as I joined his his coach. Uh, Fira Divoskina, who was the woman who who took me to the Olympic Games, so there was. It's hard to kind of pinpoint a route. There was no point where I was growing up that I say that I wanted to run for Australia at the Olympic Games. Really, uh, that's I, interesting. No, I didn't. I didn't actually watch the uh, the Beijing Olympic Games, and then I was running in the final of the the next one. So <laughs> it was a bit oh of gosh. a unconventional, perhaps, path. But but also, I I think not so unconventional. I think there are a lot of athletes. Uh, through different sports, who are kind of late starters in 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 the sport they eventually specialize in, but but I think there's a lot of value that's gained from from kind of cross pollination of different different sporting uh, backgrounds and and opportunities as as you grow up. That's true. Yes. Well, last question everyone gets, <laughs> but um, who are your idols and can be sporting or otherwise um, or both? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think I look up to a lot of people in different realms of life. Uh, so, you know, I could I could name a lot of people, but I don't think uh, <laughs> people listening to the podcast would be able to kind of relate to them because they're all people who are very close in my life who I look up to for different reasons. But in terms of those kind of uh, superstar or like well-known personalities that I think I – I really aspire to be like, I think, you know, Roger Federer is certainly up there. Um, I love the way that he's been able to excel in tennis. Also has a path into tennis where he was very much involved with a lot of different sports at a young age. Uh, I think the way that he's just continually able to to dominate. I don't think a lot of people can really truly understand how hard it is to, to continue to win and win and win as long as he has. So, so he's certainly someone I look up to, and then a little bit more, you know, closer to to Australian sport. I, I grew up idolising John Eels. I thought he was a a wonderful captain for the Australian rugby team, and and the way that 
he was able to to take our our rugby union team through some of his, you know its its golden years of rugby and, yeah. and to <clears throat> to to remember how much joy that the Australian rugby team brought to me as a kid as a fan and, and as a spectator like I I still have tremendous respect for John. Oh, um, that's so nice. And yeah, but but I think the the larger answer to that question is that you know there are great personalities out in the sporting world, but I. You know that those that that I think are are molding the strongest to to my development on and off the track um, are really those who who are close in my life. You know, a lot of a lot of family members, a lot of close family friends, uh, you know, university professors, um, those within my network that I've been able to really forge a relationship with are the ones that 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 are able to to have a tangible impact on on where I'm going. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you said before that people may not relate because they don't know them, but I think people can relate to having those people in their lives. You know, everybody Certainly. has that person that they just really look up to and it's really definitely. I, and, and I think, a, and, and, and not to be forgotten in that case is just, you know, really good friends. Um, yeah. you know, I don't think you need to have a lot of friends, uh, but I do think that, that everyone deserves and, and should look for, you know, a handful of really, really, really good friends who can, you know, uh, express qualities in, in themselves that, that you aspire to you, you, uh, to emulate, um, who can push you and challenge you and be honest with you. I think those everyday figures are, are as important to have as the, um, as the ones that we can look up to on TV and, and the ones whose shoes we can buy at the running store. Absolutely. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> good. Oh, that's really wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Steve for joining me on the podcast <laughs> my pleasure thank you it was a fun conversation oh good no I really enjoyed it so it, yeah it was great thank you so much my and, pleasure um, best of luck with the rest of the year and Tokyo next year and I can't wait to watch it's going to be it's going to be so good <laughs> thank you thank you and all the best uh with the continuation of the series I look forward to being a follower now <laughs> thank you so much <laughs>